Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Penny C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from the Boston area. Today is Friday, May 27, 2022, and this is a 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter Bill's Story on page 6, and we're reading just one paragraph the one that begins with, the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms and ends with, I was 40 pounds underweight. Today's readers are Anne-Marie M. for the 12 Steps, Mary Lou G. for the 12 Traditions, and the readers of the text are Dara L. and Barbara E. And the share ID, oh, and the newcomer greeter is Jason, Jason K. And the host for the second hour is Barbara P. The share IDs for yesterday, Thursday, May 26, 2022, for the 7 a.m. meeting, 18,994-18994. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting, 18995. The OA preamble, OE Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose is this. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I am now going to ask Anne-Marie M. to read the 12 steps for us. Good morning, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Penny. Thank you so much for your service. Uh, My name is Anne-Marie M. I live in South Carolina. I am recovered through God's grace from compulsive eating. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, make direct amends to such people wherever possible, 
except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie M. from South Carolina. And next, we're going to Massachusetts, and Mary Lou G. is going to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Penny. Good morning, everybody. Mary Lou, newly recovered here in Massachusetts. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsive eating. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, in OA, an OA group, but never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA is such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, TV, and other means of public communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for letting me read. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you so much, Mary Lou. And how our meeting works is this. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature. Then we stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. And I will be letting you know if if you go over. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what we read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, you would press star one to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone again.
In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in Bill's story on page 6 with the paragraph beginning, The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms, and ending with, I was 40 pounds underweight. And I'm going to ask Dara L. to begin that reading for us. Good morning, Dara. Oh, good morning. Thanks for your service. I'm Dara L. I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Philadelphia. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. For mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window sash and all, or burst through my window sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. Um, Oh, my God. I'm actually a little teary-eyed having read this paragraph. Um, because the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms and the agony that I endured as a compulsive eater, anorexic and bulimic is something that um, I, like I'm in awe of what, you know, what I was able to persist through um, and the insanity of the behaviors. And I see that in this paragraph, you know, the progressive nature of Bill's illness both in terms of the outer expression of the disease, right? You know, getting 40 pounds underweight, stealing money, all that stuff, the actions and the, and the consequences that show up that are obvious. Um, but I also see in this paragraph, you know, the progression of the soul sickness, the progression of the inner experience of this disease. Because just a couple pages earlier, Bill was talking about being contemptuous of people that were jumping to their death, you know, and now... He's cursing himself for a weakling, either because he now wants to, you know, be uh, follow in their footsteps, or because he doesn't have the courage to do it. And I so relate to all of that. I relate to, you know, the excruciating inner experience of living in my skin and just um, being hijacked on a daily basis by this mind and the body and the actions that I was taking and not knowing how I was going to escape. And, and it was it was just so painful. And I feared for my own sanity and other people feared for my sanity. And, you know, and, and they were right to. I've shared before, I was institutionalized 18 times. I was not a well person um, in this disease. And I'm still not a well person, uh, you know, being recovered. And I just want to share, you know, my capacity to forget um, is, never goes away like I was sharing with a recovered fellow yesterday that I felt like my ego had started to you know regrow itself and like I you know when I was starting to like I don't know that I want to take outreach calls or whatever like I don't know I was just a little bit like snarky and um and it's because I don't the desperation of me in active addiction 
is something that I am willing to do anything. I am willing to go to any length. But the minute that I get a little bit of distance from the pain of this disease, you know, the mind is a marvelous mechanism and I can forget. And so it's really good to remember like where I came from and to know um, that like this disease is, it's, it may or may not kill me bodily, but it'll kill me in my spirit and it separates me from God. And um, that's the pain that, you know, I recognize in Bill's story. And so I don't think we all need to hit the, the levels of external bottoms that Bill hit, although certainly I did. Um, but I think it's about that inner experience of just getting sicker and sicker on the inside and more and more separated from God and, and feeling more and more insane. And with that, I'll pass. I can't wait to hear from other folks. Okay, thank you so much, Dara. Just on time. And um, before I take names of others who would like to share, let me remind us that at this meeting we ask that you limit your sharing to every third day. So that means if you shared on Wednesday or Thursday, please, you know, just listen and allow others' voices to be heard. And thank you. Who would like to share? Jackie A. from Connecticut. Tina S. Barbara Maureen L. Hold on for a minute. I have Jackie, Tina, and Barbara. Who else? Loretta H. Loretta and Marie. Shanna C. Whose last last initial was L? Shanna C. Maureen. Maureen L. Anne Marie M. And Anne Marie M. Carmella G. Who was Shanna G? C. Whose initial was G? Carmella. Carmella. All right, I'm going to stop there, and I'll ask for more people as soon as uh, we hear from these folks. So here's the lineup. Jackie, Tina, Barbara, Loretta, Maureen, Anne-Marie, and Carmella. And I'm going to ask you to be sure to say your last, of the initial of your last name, and, and if you remember where you're from. Okay, Jackie, it's your turn. Thank you, everybody. This is Jackie A. from Connecticut. Um, I love this chapter. I appreciate everybody for these shares because in Dr. Sigworth's um, beginning of the doctor's opinion, to my understanding that he talks about the three different types of, of the addicts. He talks about, like, the psychopath you know, antisocial kind that can't feel empathy. He talks about the truly sick kind um, when it comes to chronic mental health. And then he talks about the most of what we think of when we think about general addiction. And here you can see how the addiction, in my eyes, like as a, not just a professional, but as a person living with those types, like that, that happens at my worst demise. Yesterday, I went to my first ever conference for my profession, abstinent, came home abstinent. I sat with another fellow who's recovered in my profession at lunch. I passed an AA table yesterday. I passed my old addiction site table yesterday and got to hug people in my program. And it meant everything for me to be there. But what also sucked was seeing an old, an old supervisor who I was really excited about and having this comment made, I, I confronted it last night. I was like, one of those things before going to bed, I was like, I can do a 10 step. I did it. I got to be honest. And I was like, I appreciate you. I don't like what you said about me spiraling to my other coworker. I really don't think that was appropriate. And it's like one of those things that we, we hear our own stories, but sometimes it hurts so bad to hear something from somebody who's not in program to put you down. 
to say, like, I remember you at your worst. And I remember bringing that up in program. I was like, it felt so good to say, yeah, I've been some places, like, and not in, like, a defensive way because I didn't say it like that either. But I was just like, you're right. Like, you saw me at my worst and really grateful to be where I am now. I'm really grateful to be in program. I'm really grateful to get the help. But it's like, I hear I hear Bill here, and I'm like, I, I know that feeling, and it's a terrible feeling. And um, I couldn't get where I am now without listening to you all in the morning and seeing some of you in other meetings, and I appreciate you very much, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much, Jackie A. And next, Tina. Thanks so much, Penny. Uh, Tina S. Recovered Compulsive Eater, anorexic in Florida. Wow, what a, what a great paragraph. I appreciate the shares already this morning. You know, some great stuff. Uh, you know, I love the mind and the body are marvelous mechanisms. Her mind endured this agony two more years. You know, when I think back before I came in, you know, I first came to Overeaters Anonymous and was presented the solution in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in, in 1987. My abstinence date is 1999. You know, and I'm also in another 12-step program. So what I know is going to kill me. You know, what I know is going to kill me. The mind and the body, you know, mine endured it for many years. I knew the solution. But on my own, you know, lack of power is my dilemma. You know, so on my own, even though I tried, you know, I was, I gave, was given a food plan, told, you know, the, the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind, you know, even went to a few meetings with Sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, had worked the 12 steps there. But with this food stuff, which is my core addiction, you know, I thought, you know, I can do this on my own. Well, the, the, the good news is I can't. You know, the bad news is that I try. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I wanted to die for 12 years. You know, I really did after I came into the rooms and had some little bit of recovery. Not, not any transformation, nothing like that, but the, the diet worked for sure, you know, because I came in as only a compulsive eater, and maybe that's not true, but, you know, I binged it. And I purged, but I was normal weight. But, you know, what really got me when this paragraph for my food addiction, it says, you know, um, I was 40 pounds underweight, you know. So I had learned, you know, how to, to diet this food plan. So I was almost 40 pounds underweight, and I had never been that before. But the people in my network were, like, they didn't know what was wrong with me. You know, is she going insane? And I loved it. it says that, that you know, people feared for my sanity. You know, they feared for my life. They thought I had cancer. They thought I had AIDS. They thought I had all this kind of stuff, and they didn't know. And I couldn't speak. You know, so that's what this disease does for me. And again, you know, I wanted to die every day. And on my own, I tried every day. This day is going to be different. I'm going to follow that food plan today. But, you know, I, I, I cannot. You know, what I had to do was surrender and, and let the people in the rooms help me to be help help me to, to get this thing and to, you know, stay abstinent until I could have the spiritual awakening, to believe that they believed, all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, I'll wrap up because I'm rambling, but, you know, the transformation that comes about through the 12 steps and the psychic change gives me freedom that I have never, ever had and that I continue to want one day at a time. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Tina S. We appreciate everybody's share, and thank you. Barbara E., your turn. Good morning. Can you hear me, Penny? I can. Very nice. Thank you so much for your service in May. Well, I'm a volume compulsive overeater, recovered but never cured. I was sick. I had a disease, and I wasn't willing to admit it. And like Bill pounding his head against the bar, I always said, what's wrong with me? I did it again. 
I died and feel I was cured. I was done. I could do it by myself, but I couldn't. I kept lying to myself and binging over and over again, feeling worthless. Actually, I bought a book back in the 1990s that described how I could exit this world without my family taking blame. I knew I was killing myself with food, and then if I remembered, it was with the horror, remorse, and the resolve to do better, and then forgetting and repeating the same action again. I stole from my husband's pocket, the store, and I felt calamity closing in around me. I lived in conflict with my feelings. I felt like I had early stage dementia because I couldn't seem to remember the consequences of repeating the same thing over and over again. It was like I made a deal with the devil and he captured my soul and my body couldn't live in a sick temple. I was stealing, lying, cheating with no moral integrity, just not wanting to get caught. I felt like I was trying to swim against the riptide instead of relaxing and swimming with it. I felt like one of those pinballs, feeling great one second and then miserable the next, bouncing back and forth. I had to stop shaming myself and keep trying and accept that I'm not perfect and I'll make mistakes. But that doesn't mean I am a mistake. So imperfect as I am, I had to continue because they say once you're in the mob, they'll never let you out. Well, it was the same for me. I can never get this program, and that's a good thing, out of my head because my brain, my head, is not a good neighborhood to be in with some kind of protection. And for me, that's my God of my no understanding. I know I had to give up returning to the freezer to my best friends, Ben and Jerry's. I prayed to my higher power for relief. And my sponsor had me put an old paperback copy of the big book in the freezer. So when I was tempted again to return to Ben and Jerry's, there would be the big book giving me the stink eye saying, Barbara, go back to bed. You no longer need to rely on these guys. They're not your friends. They may taste good, but they're lying to you. They'll hurt you. So I stayed for the miracle and I stayed after the miracle. And I'm so grateful that I did. This program really works, whether you're struggling or new or recovered just for today. It's worth it. Thank you, everyone. Have a beautiful, beautiful Friday. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. And next I'm calling on Loretta. I believe it's Loretta H. Penny, you're correct. It is Loretta H., and I live in North Carolina, and I just want to thank you and all the people on the line and the wonderful shares along with my precious God who saved my life. And for today, I am recovered. I actually experienced that paragraph at the end of my eating disorder. I actually could not scheme on how to take that mattress down the stairs of my New York City apartment. And as other people have shared, I was in program in 1985, and I was perfectly abstinent with the food. And I got anorexic, and in fact, my company sent me for an intervention. So when I was desperate and dying in 2001, 
God, I actually had an experience the first day of my honest day's work when I met my sponsor in Central Park. And I was willing to give her my food and realizing I don't have a food problem. That was my solution for everything. It started at four to present my parents from fighting. So we actually, she, used, we used to run together, and she would go to a big book AA meeting as she left me because she needed that part. In 2001, the big book wasn't as promoted, and that's where I learned about my disease from her and this book that we so treasure. And um, it's interesting because today I believe that my uh, abstinence is spiritual, and it's a privilege, but I have to practice the principles in all my affairs. And my food plan is a tool, and I still, after 21 years, text my food because I want to do an honest day's work. My sponsor doesn't care if I eat an elephant, but it's my honesty and accountability that needs to be looked at. So with God's grace and mercy today, I get the privilege because I'm, I go both ways to eat, but I do not abuse the privilege in either way. And I just feel so blessed because, you know, it's Memorial Day weekend and we live in a free country, but I also live in a free mind and body one day at a time with God's corrective directives. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Loretta H. And next we have Maureen L. Hi, this is Maureen L. I, Maureen L., I assume I could be heard. Uh, and thank you for the uh, leader for listening to all of our names come out in fast succession. I always listen to this meeting on the train, so can't contribute. So on the rare occasions when I drive to work, I try to join the community here vocally. So I appreciate everyone's service and uh, contributions to the line. I was um, struck by this passage about the, the reverence that the author puts in the body being a marvelous thing and the mind being a marvelous thing because it was able to endure so much. And in a way, um, yeah, it, it, unquestionably it is. But on the other hand, the, being able to endure such suffering through this compulsive disease um, it, and can also establish some feeling of complacency. Like this is what life is supposed to be. Like I, I suffered for so long binge eating. And I, but I was still successful in many other areas of my life. I don't have a wildly impressive mental health history. I, I've had a, I won the lucky baby card. I had parents who loved each other and me. I got a husband that I love and kids that drive me crazy. But I, you know, we, like I've had a functioning adult life, not besieged by trauma, thank, thankfully. But I, I still suffered greatly through this disease. And yet my mind and body were complacent to this kind of daily assault because they can, can push through it. Like maybe this is an ideal, but it's okay enough. And the thing is life is so much richer and so much better if we can step out of that complacency and open ourselves to the promise, promises and real recovery. And finally, I'd just note this reverence for the brain or this kind of um, thoughtful homage to the mind. The mind for me in this program has been death. Uh, my intellectual capacity that have been evident in graduate degrees and two of which I hold in college and post-grad 
it served me well in those contexts. But through this program, my thinking or my belief that I could think this way or research this way or somehow intellectualize this problem is death. All I need to do is surrender to the fact that I am powerless. I can't make good decisions about food, no matter of my capacity to make good decisions elsewhere. I've got nothing, nothing in the tank if it comes to like determining what's a proper amount of food to eat for me. And that's just how it is. That's as evident to my body as the freckles on my face. So once I get acknowledged and surrendered to the fact that I just can't make decisions about food, I'm an addict and my brain is wired chemically that when certain chemicals hit it, I, I lose I lose capacity to understand or control, then I have a chance of giving myself over to a higher power and with surrendering my food to a sponsor and living in truth and getting out of the complacency of the disease that renders my life less than it could be and into the promises that's available to all of us if we just surrender and accept what we don't know. So thank you to everyone who has contributed to this meeting. I so appreciate all of your shares and your collective efforts. I wish everyone a wonderful and absent Memorial Day weekend. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Maureen L. And Anne-Marie M., it's your turn. Thank you, Penny. It's Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina, gratefully uh, gratefully recovered. And uh, that's through God's grace. I always have to remember that. It wasn't me that got me to have the obsession of compulsive eating removed. Um, it was God, and uh, for a long time, I I um, relapsed over and over again, and thinking that I could do it, I could do it, and it wasn't until finally I had a great relation. I have a great relationship with God, and wanted that relationship with God that I was able to have the obsession removed. So I'm just so grateful for that. But the line that stood out to me was, again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet. Um, I, I just picture myself swaying dizzily in front of a mirror, you know, my, my medicine cabinet, my mirror in my bathroom, and looking at myself and thinking in disgust, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? And how many times I had an out-of-body out out experience of watching myself putting my hand in the bag to my mouth over and over again, but inside thinking, I don't want to do this. Stop. I'm, I'm feeling sick. But not being able to control. And I just thought, what a loser. Look, what, what is wrong with you? What a pig. What a just insult after insult. Looking at myself in the mirror and saying, why are you doing this to yourself and not knowing why? And uh, Bill, you know, as we read through the story, he gets to learn about his disease. And I have learned a lot about my disease. I've, I've read books after I found out that it was disease. Um, you know, I didn't believe in this sugar being addictive kind of thing, but uh, you know, I figured out how I was going to control it and try to um, uh, did an eating awareness therapy, trying to eat when I was hungry and stop when I was full. And it wasn't until I really learned that this was a disease that the obsession of the mind had to be removed from God. I could put down the food, 
I could put down the food and be a dry drunk. And I had done that for a while. And it, I just returned to the food because I was so miserable being restless um, and, and discontent with myself and just wondering why. Why was I like this? Why was I such um, a loser? And I'm um, just grateful, grateful for this program, grateful for this meeting of uh, A Vision for You, this big book study meeting, and that's what this is, that taught me so much. And to have people that are recovered from this disease, recovered from the compulsion to compulsively overeat. And I'm reminded that I'm not cured, and I'm reminded that I can't do this on my own. Thank you. Thank you. That was Anne-Marie M. And next we have Carmela. Thank you so much, Penny. My name is Carmela G., and I am a grateful compulsive overeater recovered for today, thanks to my higher power I call God. And I am from New York. The mind and body are marvelous things, and the more marvelous is how sick and crazy I was. And it's not that many years ago that this disease ravaged me. It owned me. And last night while I was working with one of my sponsees, I met her for the first time last Saturday. And I we have journeyed these steps together. And we were talking about the journey when we met and the journey when we met for the first time recovered a week ago. And that journey was a marvelous, just like our mind and body, the transformation, the joy. From despair, we went to joy. And we didn't do it. It is our working of these steps that gets us on this path. We just have to do the work. And each one of us has a different journey. Mine was a gift because I got it very late in life. And um, once I got it, I didn't want to ever let go of it. So the gift was I never succumbed back to the substance as of today. But it doesn't mean it won't happen. I still have to work it. My sponsee had several relapses, but we both achieved. We both worked. We both were willing and honest. And like Bill, we were able to live in the sunlight. And neither one of us spared and gave up. And it was through. She had a higher power. I have my higher power. It was through that higher power that we were given these gifts. So my message this morning and the reason I did this is because many of us are relapsing in this time of of, um uncertain world, uncertain illness, uncertain life, 
Nothing is certain, but there is one thing that's certain. We have a power greater than ourselves. Each one of us has a power. If we are willing to connect, there is hope. Just surrender and give in to that power and not into your self-indulgences and be willing to do the work because each one of us is worth the joy and the freedom at the end of the road. And then there's a new road, a new road of happy destiny. And with that, I will thank you. Oh, when I say that's time, it doesn't mean you, you know, you certainly can finish your sentence. Thank you so much, Carmela G. Let me remind, before I take more names, remind everybody where we are reading from this morning. We are in the big book, page six of Bill's story, and we're reading one paragraph and commenting on that, and the, the paragraph is, The Mind and Body Are Marvelous Mechanisms. And another reminder that um, if you shared within the last three days, so on Wednesday or Thursday, uh, please hold back. Melissa C. Hey, this is Charles A. I have Melissa. Hold on, please. I have Melissa and Charles. And who was before Melissa? I thought I heard someone. D. Who is Darian K? Darian? Golden. Yeah. Golden H. Darian K. All right, here's who I have. All right. These are who I have, and then I'll hear. I I can take two more after this. Darian K, Melissa C, Charles H, and uh, Janice, and who else? Golden H. Golden H. Shanna C. Who H? That was Golda H. You got me. Okay. And and who was after Golda? Shanice. Is it Janice? Shanna, S-H-A. Shanna. Okay. All right. So if I have more time, we might be able to take one more. But for now, the lineup is Daddy F. Melissa C., Charles H., Janice, Golda, and Shanna. And I think I just heard Katie F. If we have time, Darian, would you start up, us up again? Sure, Penny. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Oh, good. Okay. This is Darian K. from the Berkshires in Massachusetts. Recovered for today. So happy to be on the line with all of you on this Friday morning. Um, oh, so many good shares, and um, you know what I hear the. So loud and clear, like through a megaphone, <laughs> um, is the progression, the progression of this disease, and to have a healthy fear of that progression. Um, you know, I've been in program a long time. I came in in 1986, and, um, <clears throat> you know, I just treated it initially like another diet because I really didn't know uh, what it encompassed, you know, all the, all the amazing things that I would soon learn throughout the years. Um, that this program had to offer. And, um, you know, but I am that much further from my, you know, last bite and the pain and the desperation and the, the major weight and and all of that. And so um, 
I personally have a healthy fear of um, the progression of this disease. You know, I was almost 200 pounds, but I didn't eat, I didn't um, binge. I was more of a grazer. Um, I didn't eat in the middle of the night. Um, I was too guilty to, you know, finish off certain things. Um, oh, there's a lot of things, right? A lot of yets. I've, I've heard in um, AA, you're eligible too, um, that I had that I had not done um, before I came to program. So I could picture my um, disease being so much worse and being well over 200 pounds because, again, I did um, a lot of restricting and, and and things to keep my weight under 200 pounds. So, um, you know, I, like I said, have a healthy fear of that, of that progression. And um, those are the warning signs. And when I talk to people that are new in program or people that have um, relapsed or gone out there, um, I take it inside my soul and make sure that I um, learn from that um, so that I don't have to do that research, um, that they sadly has, have done it for me uh, don't wish it on anybody, um, but I take that and in, in my soul and my heart and uh, and learn from it and grow from it um, and staying connected uh, to my higher power, to all of you, um, and and the tools and the steps is um, very precious to me, very precious to me, and I need it more today than I ever did <laughs> in 1986. So thank you so much. Thank you, Penny, and have a great, great Friday. Bye-bye. Thank you, Darian. And next we have Melissa C., and I know she's in New York. Hi. Good morning, Penny. Thanks so much for your service this morning. I'm Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, when I read this, I think there's nothing more agonizing than, like, having full knowledge of like what the solution is and not having any power to to grab hold of it and do it and you know and I think too like when they when it says like the mind and the body are marvelous mechanisms you know because it endures agony because my body and my mind have this ability to endure which means like to continue to live despite pain and agony and you know, that there's a seedling of hope in there for me because I think, like, that's the spark of God, this thing that inside me that wants to live despite wanting to die, right, despite being in pain. And for me, what it looked like at the end, you know, I would lay in bed in, in, at night or in the early morning, and I could hear, like, my daughter, she was early elementary school, and I would feel such guilt because... She would be making her own lunch, really young kid. And I I both loved that because I thought, oh, I raised her to be so independent. So I wasn't raising her to be independent. I was not functional in the morning. And why I would feel so bad was I would hear her trying to find the snacks that I bought and that she knew I bought that were gone. And, you know, and I just, like, the guilt, the shame, the horror, the remorse, and the inability to do anything about it, but like hoist my body, which was in tremendous physical pain out of bed, pour like sweet crap in my coffee because I needed it to open up my eyes and make empty promises for change so she could buy crap at school. And, um, you know, 
And like a magnet, my car was through the fast food line, either on the way to work or on the way home. And I did this for years. And, um, and it's agony. And why I say, like, today I have tremendous gratitude for this body that when you straighten out spiritually, what follows is physical and, and, and mental, you know, recovery. Spiritual comes first, followed by physical and mental. And that's been my truth. And, you know, <clears throat> today I look at my body. It's a vehicle to do God's work in. And, you know, as soon as I started treating it a little bit better, um, I wanted it to look immediately better. <laughs> and that's the arrogance of me. Um, and, and today I'm just grateful that it moves, that my mind works and my body moves. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Melissa. That was Melissa C. And next, Thank you very much. Um, can you hear me? I'm saying that because it's, uh, it's a little, little bit of a background noise, right, but so I, take, I think we'll be able to hear you. All right. Um, so my memory of this paragraph is um, my first time coming to AA, fresh off the addiction, fresh off the addiction, and some old white man telling me to take my hat off and respect AA. So that's what I remember, and I put a beating on him in there, and then I ran out the meeting because I was sick and suffering. Today I'm still sick and suffering, right? Um, yeah, I hear something. Let me, you know what? Let me take my ear pods off, man, so you can. Is that better? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I hate asking that question. That's a, that's a nut-ass question. It's a self-centered question, but. You know, and also what this paragraph reminds me of is, you know, as Bill sees it and as Lois remembers, you know, Lois was pretty much not drinking. She didn't drink no alcohol, and Bill was probably still struggling with it. You know, and 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 I say this, like, you know, I think many people, including myself, you know, up to up to as recent, I, I I'm addicted to recovery and. You know, I think, you know, that Superman syndrome is like, you know, I'm so far away from this and I'm so recovered. How's your, how's your, how's your, your, your significant other? How's your family, right? And I, and I love, like, it says that he endured this for two more years. And I love chapter eight and nine in the big book where it says, if it wasn't for my wife or my significant other, I wouldn't have been here. Like behind every good man or side by side, rather, is a, is a good woman or a good man, you know, and. And what what this paragraph reminds me of also is what a good Al-Anon and how resentful Lois was. Because, matter of fact, let me say this too, there is 201 eyes in Bill's story, and the majority of them are in the first eight pages, in particular page two, which has at least 19 of them. Like, you know, I, I could remember, like, you know, I'm so recovered, I'm abstinent, but my, 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 my marriage is in shambles. I'm yelling and screaming at my kids, but I'm good recovered. I, I'm following a food plan. I'm so great. I'm speaking all over the world, right? Like, 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 like how self-centered is that, right? And, 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 and granted, I respect Bill W. I get it. I do. You know, some, sometimes the lies are not publicated to make the story look real good. You know, I'm speaking to myself. Right? So, like, like, thank God for this paragraph. There's a lot 
It's loaded with things that people ain't even talking about, and I'm glad I was able to talk about it today. And you guys have a great Friday. Thank you, Charles H. And Janice, it's your turn. Janice? Uh, This is Janice PM, but I didn't say my name, so I don't know. It might be another one, Penny. Yeah, there was another. It was another Janice. Okay. Uh, Okay, well, I just got a text. No Janice. So, Golda. Golda H. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service, everybody. Um, I'm Golda. I am a food addict, compulsive eater. And, um, yeah, the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. And, you know, my worst, it's, I, my, my longest period of suffering with food addiction was while I was in other, while I was in food programs, other different food programs. It's because my disease had progressed. And by the time I'm, I'm talking about, I was fighting with myself every day. My mental obsession was in full force. I have to have this food. I want this food, but I shouldn't have this food, but I can't have this food, but I will have this food. I heck with it. I'll just give in and binge. And I would just binge for a few weeks, call back to my sponsor. Oh, my God, I have to make my, I tell her I have to improve my program and whatever, and she'd say, sure, and then, and, and, but I was always in the mental obsession about the food, always playing games, always negotiating, and, um, but what, but what, what, me swaying dizzily before an open window was, was when I came to Israel uh, right after that period, which lasted like a good four or five years, I mean, more, I don't know, Five to eight years, I was constantly fighting the mental obsession of food and constantly trying. And I was using my program basically as a very sophisticated diet, basically. And, um, but it finally broke. My disease just said, no more. I'm taking over now. And it took over. It took over like a year before, six months before I moved to Israel. And once I got to Israel and I couldn't stop, I just couldn't stop. And my open window wasn't that I was about to jump out, thank God. I never, all the pain and trauma I've had over my life, I never was seriously suicidal, which is just a gift from God. But did I want to die? A hundred percent, many times. But my open window with food addiction was, I said to God, I said these words, I don't understand, did you take me to Israel to die? Is that, is that the plan here? And um, I really meant it. Like, what, what do you, why'd you take me to Israel? Why am I here? I'm going to die from this. I was in my 60s. I was night and day ingesting flour and sugar. And I know my health. I mean, I was pre-diabetic. It's not going to, you know. And soon after that, I found a, a, different, a different fellowship that worked for six, five years. And saved my life. And, um, yeah, and um, those bottoms are so important. And I'm so grateful to get to that point that people have talked about where 
not only did I realize I can't do this, but I also realized that I want to live. I want to live. So I was willing to surrender. And so that's where I am today. And uh, I'm just really grateful that I found the Vision for You meeting and I found a new le- type of participation in OA now that is working for me. So I'm really grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Go to H. Um, Shannon. From Israel. From, sorry, from Israel. Israel. I'm, okay, that was Go to H from Israel. And Shanna. Good morning. This is Shanna C from East Tennessee. Um, thanks, everybody, for your shares. And um, I, I just I have an in, instance that keeps just popping into my head, um, and I hadn't thought about it in a while, uh, but uh, this paragraph, I guess, sparked it. Um, you know, and it speak, I'm uh, so identified with a physical allergy in the middle obsession, and I, and I like many others, or I'm in another fellowship as well, and was told by very well-meaning people, well, don't worry about the food right now, you're going to dive this other thing a lot faster than the food, and besides, accept yourself the way you are, um, who cares if you're a little bit overweight, you're beautiful, you know, this kind of thing, and, uh, you know, if I could do that, if I could accept myself the way I am and be happy with myself and, you know, whatever, then I would have, but I couldn't, I've never, I, this compulsive eating, literally, I, could, I don't remember a day in my life where it hasn't been a thing. I mean, I'm talking as long as I can remember, even as a child. But this one particular thing, um, went on vacation with my family and uh, we stopped by a, um, a particular restaurant that offered, uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to trigger anybody, but anyways, it's a specific type of food that my father-in-law had recommended. We had never been there before and we stopped to get some, some lunch or whatnot. And my family ordered um, that particular food and I ordered a salad fully intense on ordering a salad and eating that. And I even paused and prayed and called my other recovered sponsor from the other fellowship and turned my thoughts to helping someone else who happened to be another, um, who wasn't in the program, but it was a member of that fellowship. And all I could think about was what they were eating. And I mean, I'm, I mean, I eat this salad that's like the size of a, a <laughs> wheelbarrow um, full. I mean, enough for two people at least. So I eat all of that, and then I tell myself I'm just going to have a bite of this thing because, after all, I'm here at this. Re- you know, this is a once in a lifetime thing. And so I, eat, you know, I eat that, and then I have a whole piece of that. And then I'm like, well, two pieces. That's not that bad. So I have two pieces, and this is like huge pieces. And then they take it, the rest of it to go after I've already eaten my entree salad. I get, we get to the hotel. My husband goes to check us into the hotel. I'm eating the rest of the thing while waiting in the car as soon as he gets out. I get back to the hotel. I literally pass out. My stomach is so full and I'm so sick. The rest of the week I could barely eat anything. And come to find out, I end up with all these stomach troubles and I go to the doctor and they tell me, you have done some serious damage to your stomach. Uh, the thing that holds the food contents in is dilated 50% and it can't go back. You know, anyway, I say all that to say, yeah, the body and mind are marvelous mechanisms and talking about agony, I can't. I did that for a long time. Even after that, it didn't stop me. It wasn't until, thank you. It wasn't until I 
got to that point of complete desperation, asked God for help, that I literally landed here with you all. Um, and it could identify with another compulsive overeater that helped me through through the steps and found the solution. Been absent ever since. It's a miracle for my life. Thanks for listening. Sorry I went over. Thanks. Okay, thank you. And Katie, I'm sorry we don't have any time left, but maybe you want to share on the second hour. And I want to thank everyone who attended today, everyone who shared. And this is the last Friday of, of May, so uh, we will have a new team starting next month. So, um, But another shout-out to the people behind the scenes, especially Leah, Melissa, and KDF. Um, thank you so much. So after this meeting, please stay with us for the second unrecorded hour of study immediately following this. The share ID for today, Friday, May 27, 2022, is 18,997, 18997. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, and I'm going to ask Barbara E. to read that for us. Barbara E. Sorry, I got myself muted again. I wanted to thank you, Penny, and thank the 435 people of you on this meeting today who are participating in my recovery. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you can't transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.